Hi guys, welcome to the Fintech Coffee Break. I'm your host, Isabel Castro. This week, I spoke to Shirag Shah, CEO and founder of Nucleus Commercial Finance. Nucleus has been in the fintech space for some time, providing financing solutions for small and medium businesses with a tech-focused vision. I caught up with him to get his views on the prospect of a super app for SMBs and how embedded finance and particularly innovation in embedded finance will make the super app dream just that little bit closer to reality. Hi Shirag, how are you today? Hey Isabel, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Really great to have you on. I'm glad that we got the chance to chat. Um so to begin with, I want to ask you what gets you up in the morning? It's being it's being able to make a difference. Okay. You see, I mean the mu- number of product ideas that we come up with, the number of solutions we come up with. You know like always there's always like the the test that I want to kind of clear is how is it different from everything else out there? What problem it's solving? And at the end of the day, what difference is it going to make to the SME on day-to-day running? Is it going to simplify their life? Is it going to make it easier to do whatever they are doing? Nice. I like that. That's a good reason to get up in the morning. Um, Tell me a bit about your career journey and what brought you to founding Nucleus Commercial Finance. So my, my background is engineering, math, and finance. Mm-hmm. So in a way, at that time, there was no fintech. But my whole background is very suited to fintech. I understand technology. I worked in finance. And uh, it, it, as fintech came about, Nucleus, Nucleus was one of the first alternative lenders mm-hmm. before the whole fintech boom. My background prior to that is I used to work in banking on the structuring and trading side started working at a hedge fund, really gained a good understanding of credit products, loan products to SMEs. And then post-crisis, saw an opportunity. Banks were kind of 99% of loans made to SMEs in the UK, which was very disproportionate to the other advanced countries like US, where banks generally tend to be closer to 60 65%. So we saw an opportunity at that, that's the point at which we launched Nucleus to be a true alternative to the banks. And this was about 12 years ago, just before the fintech boom. Okay, so you got in at a really good time. Then, I mean, when we started, tech was, I would say when we started Nucleus, it was more with a relationship angle and tech was supporting everything we were doing. As a business, the way we have evolved is, tech is central to everything we do and people support tech where it can't fulfill the requirements. So it's been a big transition over the last decade. And uh, yeah, I would like to think that we have been at the forefront of some of the innovations on the SME lending side. Okay, nice. Um, So today I wanted to talk to you about super apps. Um, What's your kind of view on super apps? Where are we right now? And how does Nucleus kind of um approach this topic it's really interesting because when when people talk about super apps everybody's focus is on consumers mm-hmm. we come from a very different angle because our focus is all smes 
So when you when people use WeChat as a comparison and everything, a lot of the focus tends to be on consumers. From a SME perspective, I think super apps is a, has been a buzzword now for almost eighteen months. There is no real super app out there, which is there is no real app out there which you can classify as super app on the SME side. I think a lot of people are building or trying to build what they claim to be super apps. But majority of them tend to be financial apps, serving very specific requirements related to finance, rather than a super app. Which really, a super app should be a one-stop shop for everything an SME needs. Hmm. And the reason why it's not been achieved is it's a challenge. SME data is very dispersed, very at very different points compared to consumer. You can't have a single API which gives you all the data points. So the infrastructure you have to build is quite, quite different, and a lot more expensive, and expensive to build. Also, the requirements are very varying depending on the size of the business, the sector they are operating in, the permutation combinations are significantly higher, and that is why I think there's still like no real super app for the SMEs. Okay, yeah, it sounds like a really complicated sector to approach i mean how how could one go about it what would it, what would they need to create this super app right as i said it's a challenge because of the data mm. i think the biggest point has to be on how they can how they can access all the data the, the if you look at in general for the super app that needs to be a clearly defined objective right Everybody is not going to be able to achieve everything on one go. But what's the path? What are the key requirements you want to meet from an SME's perspective? The user journey. SMEs have multiple touch points, unlike consumers. So, okay, what are the touch points? Which touch points you want to cover within the super app, and how are you going to cover that? And how you're going to bring partners on board? Again, as I said, the needs are very varied. So, do you want to? Try to focus on all the SMEs or a particular segment, and then gradually expand that. The ecosystems haven't developed on the SME side the same way as the consumer ecosystems have. Again, as we mentioned briefly, the data—it's dispersed and like the consumer data, and there are too many data controllers, and all those controllers are trying to monetize the access to SME data, and are restricting access, which makes it more difficult to build a super app. Okay, and. With the businesses, there is always a layer of advisors, be it the accountants, be corporate finance houses that the businesses work with very closely, and that whole ecosystem from a tech perspective is still very far behind. They are making progress, but they're still far behind. You need to bring the whole that whole ecosystem to a level where they can actually integrate with a super app. I, I'm just highlighting the challenges because I think that's what we wanted to cover here. Yeah. But those are those are the key challenges I see on the SME super app side. Okay. Do you do you think it's possible though? Are there steps being made that makes this a reality that could be fulfilled? I think it's going to become more around a partnership angle. From I mean, for someone to achieve a full super app for an SME is going to be very challenging, not undoable. Very challenging, and I think it will become more like a partnership thing where you might have three or four players that emerge, who are each focusing on a bunch of requirements in particular areas, 
And then a super app is really a combination of those guys in a partnership rather than one single entity achieving all of it. Okay. Okay. So it, you don't think it's going to be something like uh, WeChat in China, which is all coming from like the singular thing who does partner, but basically it's called a, it's WeChat. Yes, but I mean, it's very different, right? When you compare the markets, I mean, in the Western markets, you've got more competition. I mean, when you look at WeChat, there was no real, I mean, there are a couple, but maybe there was no real competition because it's a closed market. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at Europe, when you look at US, there is significantly more comp- competition. So the market sizing, market gets divided. Nobody gets total control of the market. The downside to that is your customer acquisition cost is significantly higher. Okay. There are more choices and customer, not only the customer acquisition cost, but in terms of the whole ecosystem, everybody wants a bigger share of the pie compared to what it is with WeChat in China being the only real big player. So those are the kind of the, the and then you have anti-competition rules. So if someone really does grow to that scale, then you're going to have all the anti-competition rules kick in, in the on the Western side, which will again restrict that growth because no, they don't want any, and, and for good reasons, nobody should have that level of power on consumers. Mm-hmm. So with all those things, that that's why you will not really see a WeChat in the Western world. Okay, so it's going to kind of turn into something completely different. I know in the SME case, it's obviously going to be something different, but even in the consumer space, it's going to be something very different. Okay, okay, that's really interesting. Do you see embedded finance kind of fitting into this in any way? You can't really build a super app without embedded finance. Mm-hmm. I mean, embedded finance is at the core. And if you look at majority of the apps which are kind of being sold as super apps, there is an element of finance already embedded in there. And many of the apps which are sold, which are kind of marketed as super apps are really, at the end of the day, embedded finance versions. You can talk about the BNPL space or whatever it is. It is all an embedded finance solution. Now, people can try to build super apps on top of it, but embedded finance was at the core of it. And it could do everything, right? You're talking about payments, you're talking about transfers, you're talking about lending. It's all covered, but it is core to any app that anyone's building right now. And, and there are benefits to it. You've got the, the consumers have got the convenience of accessing all the financial services on the go. And it is a very important revenue stream for the app builders. From the transaction fees they generate, income they generate from insurance and loan selling. So it is a very critical part on the revenue side for whoever is looking at super apps and looking to build them. Do you think, where do you think we are with embedded finance uh, in order to make these kind of super, like, are we ready to make a super app from the embedded finance that exists today? Or is something else going to have to happen? Are we needing more innovation? What What's your opinion? Uh, so, I mean, I, on the SME side, we still need a lot more innovation. Okay. On embedded finance, it's becoming closer and it's getting it's getting really close with open banking, open accounting, free access to data. It is getting significantly better. But again, the challenge is not, are there tools to make it possible, viable, and something to be in the market in a very short span of time? Yes. The challenge of the SME side is bringing the whole ecosystem to that level that 
embedded finance can work. Okay. And and that is probably a it's get everybody is understanding this is where it's going to end, and they all need to build to get to that stage. But everybody is at different points in the journey, and I think I, I don't think it's really a hundred percent thing in the next three months, six months. But I'll be surprised if there is not if we don't start seeing better versions of embedded finance for SMEs over the next twelve to eighteen months. Okay, and what what kind of areas do you see being the kind of next, the kind of originators of the next wave? I think you're going to see a lot from the lenders, okay. from the fintech lenders. I mean, we I, I, I can tell you our experience where we started working on a what we call a one-click lending model about five years ago. Okay. And the objective was a business should just enter the, the moment someone enters the name of the business, we should be able to tell how much they can borrow, mm-hmm. at what price, and over what period. So that is what we consider as like the, that is like critical to embedded finance, being able to turn things around that quickly and to build the infrastructure to be able to do that. And I think you'll see a lot more of that come out because that that will, if somebody achieves that, and is able to provide responses and results in such a short span of time, that will kickstart all the other innovation around the SME space. Okay. Do you see kind of, uh, I mean, we're in a kind of difficult position in the economy. I know the UK, I think I saw, is getting slightly better, but the US, for example, is still pretty bad. Um is this going to affect that or do you still think that this kind of innovation is going to happen regardless of what happens around it? I, the innovation is going to happen regardless. Mm-hmm. I have a different take on this. I don't think this will necessarily have a negative impact. There are two parts, right? When you're building the ecosystem, the biggest part is getting the consumers on board to using the technology. And we saw it during COVID, and we were big proponents of open banking, open ac- accounting. We've been for half a decade, and getting the consumer buy was significantly more challenging. So, if you look at our completion rates on open banking journeys pre-COVID, they were in mid twenty percent, mid twenties, low thirties. Post-COVID, we got to nineties. So, people embraced technology when the need was there. If there are challenging times, of course, it's more challenging for the SMEs, but also it makes people more open to try out new things. Okay. Well, so I'm... it's just, just mm-hmm. I, I'm just trying to make it the glass half full. Of course, it's a challenging environment overall, but also there are benefits in terms of the customer uptake. Okay. Yeah, no, I see that. Um people are looking for alternatives and trying out new things. So yeah, I can definitely see that happening. Do you think there's kind of any roadblocks to kind of realizing that reality at the moment? I know you guys are based in just, are you just in the UK at the moment? Have you expanded to Europe or the US? Now we are focusing on the UK market. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I mean, you can speak for the UK. Do you, what do you see as being some of the potential roadblocks to having that innovation happening? 
I, I briefly touched on this. Mm-hmm. Currently, with S- especially in the SME space, there are too many data controllers. If you want banking data, you've got a load of different banks out there. If you want accounting data, you've got a load of accounting packages, including the likes of uh, from zero stage, tens of them, right? Everybody is... It, when everyone started, everybody was kind of advocate for free data sharing make it easier to share the data. Of course, with consent at all times. Mm-hmm. Now we are in a position that all of them are in a way trying to monetize the data they have rather than just share it. As people have got access to more and more data, they're trying to put more and more roadblocks in place so that they can monetize it better. And I think that is one of the threats. I think from a regulation perspective, we have seen a lot of things around open banking, a lot of changes, a lot of advances, but there's still a long way to go. And I think the biggest threat is that the regulatory support doesn't keep pace with the innovation. It is going to start stifling the innovation if it doesn't keep pace. Okay. Um, I mean, the there's been some things about kind of open banking. I know this is... Well, no, it do, it does affect the SMEs as well, but um, there's been some concerns in the UK that um, open banking isn't kind of reaching its full potential. What's your opinion on this, and is it going to affect embedded finance and the innovation within it if they don't, if regulators don't do something to kind of kickstart that? foray into open finance. I, I agree. Open banking is not reaching its full potential. Mm-hmm. With open banking, we can clearly see the benefits of open banking. The issue we have is you've still got banks in UK who, who can't provide open banking access. And this is, they were they have had a decade to do it now. I, I have, I've said this before, and unless the regulation changes and makes it compulsory and there are penalties for not being do for not doing this in the correct way it won't realize its full potential the bank should be penalized for every failed open banking journey that's the only way we're going to get them on board fully to get this yeah make it really useful okay no i agree um do you see kind of any technology i mean everyone's going on about um AI, generative AI, is this going to feed into um, addressing the needs of SMEs with these super apps, with this kind of embedded finance? It's going to make a lot of things possible. We are using it to fill in certain gaps somewhere, in in many places, actually. As we get more and more data, you will see that being like the leading force to achieving better embedded finance and some form of super apps okay nice um what's a piece of advice we're we're coming to your closing questions now um what's a piece of advice that you have been given that you would give to someone else this can be anything this can be focused on fintech and the subject that we were discussing or personal or professional anything I, okay, I, there are two things I'd like to say. Mm-hmm. Someone told me, and this was very early on in my career, but I said, you've got to realize that we always aim for perfection. 
But always keep in mind that sometimes perfection can be the enemy of good. Okay. Okay, and it's true. I mean, every time I can always say with our products and stuff, at some point you get, you have to get to the market. Mm-hmm. That's when you get the real feedback. Because every time what we we do a lot of work on identifying what the gaps are and what the market needs. But there will still be some gap in that analysis. And it's good to have a product which is a great product, launch it in the market, learn, and then make it absolute best in class. Instead of aiming to make it absolute best in class, then launch, because there will still be changes you have to make. And bringing it earlier in the cycle makes it a lot simpler and a lot less expensive. Oh, really? Okay, that's that's really interesting. I wouldn't expect it to be less expensive, but I guess if you are uh, striving for perfection initially and then you're still going to have to make changes, that makes a lot of sense. It is, and also it's, it's very difficult. Right? We are talking to a very diverse market. How much of a research we do, there are going to be certain practical constraints which you only realize when you actually launch the product. Mm-hmm. And we are not replicating a product. Most of our products we are launching, we want to be the first to the market. We are first to the market in what we do. So it's not like you are relying on data on how the others have performed. If you want to be at the cutting edge, you want to, you need to do a lot of work on what the what, what your customers need. But at the same time, when you go live, you are still going to find the gaps and be ready for that and plan around that. Okay. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. And the second thing always I say is unit economics. Okay. Whatever we do, there has to be a clear, you have to clearly define the unit economics. If you can't define unit economics, it's not something you should do. Okay. That, that's So that's like the, the key, the kind of, um, would you call it a silver bullet? Yeah. The, the kind of diamond to everything. Yes, and it's uh, it's taking it's coming more to the forefront now. In the last twelve, fifteen months, as capital raising becomes more challenging, mm-hmm. right? But that is core. If you are launching a product, whatever it is, that has to be a route to making money. Okay, no, yeah, you're you're completely right. I completely agree. Um, your curveball question. Um, I just picked this at random. Uh, what would your superpower be and why? <laughs> I'm going to have to think about this. I want so many. <laughs> oh, you caught me out on this one now. I'm sorry. Give me two minutes. <laughs> Tell me what, if, I, if, if, if I had to book, pick one power, I'd say I want to travel time. Oh, nice. Okay. Nice. Would you, it would be traveling time. Okay. Would you not be scared about would you travel forward or backwards? Well, that's a beauty. I could travel each way, no? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I like that. Tra- time travel, perfect. Um, okay, we've come to the end of our session. Um, how can people get a hold of you, follow you, follow Nucleus? I will get just to send you links. Better? Uh, no, no. Uh, Tell our listeners. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, don't worry. If you want updates on us, all social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, 
and we have got a fantastic website. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Shirag. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you. As always, you can reach out and chat with me on my personal LinkedIn or Twitter at Izzy Castro Writes. That's spelled I-Z-Y. But for access to great daily content, check out Fintech Nexus on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also sign up for our daily newsletter, bringing news straight to your inbox. For more fintech podcast fun, check out the website where you can find more fascinating conversations hosted by Peter Renton and Todd Anderson. That's it from me. Until next time, enjoy your downtime.